As we read this morning, we're coming to the Lord's table this morning, and uh, as we read in that 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, uh, these things were all written. You know I've been talking to you about Israel and about Israel's disobedience and the coming of the last days and the fact that they are going to suffer tremendous tribulation. Great tribulation is going to come upon Israel in God's ultimate final judgment upon this people who have disobeyed him. God says that his strange work is punishment and chastening. In the Old Testament, he said, I do my strange work. It's strange for God to have to do it. But he has to do it. And Israel has been very disobedient. And even now, returning to the land of Palestine, as Ezekiel 37 tells us, there are bones and sinews and muscles coming up upon them, but they have no spirit in them. So that returning to the land, they are returning in unbelief. There will be a great miracle one day when all Israel shall be converted in a moment. This is going to be God's great work. It's coming. It's not far off. They've been a nation as far as the world is concerned, but God's not satisfied with that. It's not the nation he wants. It's Zionism or it's uh, the idea of some Jews to go back, but I want to assure you that the six million Jews in the United States, very few have a desire to go back to Israel. God says in his word that he's going to hunt them from the caves and he's going to get them from every place when his great work shall be done. And they might have changed their name from Goldstein to Ryan, but it won't make much difference. God's going to get every Jew one day in a great miraculous work and going to bring them back to the land. And so they've been a very, very disobedient people. And as we read that portion in 1 Corinthians 10, you notice that when we get down twice, he has said, this has been written for you, that this might be an example to you. Don't you ever get involved with the things they got involved in. Be very, very careful. Twice he says that. Sixth verse, these things were written for your examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. And then it says it again in the 11th verse. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, for they are written for our admonition, notice, upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so here we are in this age of grace as it comes to its great culmination for the Lord Jesus is coming soon. The days may look dark, but beloved, I want to tell you they're tinged with glory for the Christian because they're saying to the Christian, Jesus is coming soon. And so while we may be troubled and hot when we see so many things going on around us, let us remember that. And let us remember these are examples. And I... Notice that the examples are very clear. I don't want to go into them this morning. Maybe some other time I'll speak about it. Uh, the first uh, four verses have to do with the fact that the Jewish people were identified with Moses just as we're identified with Christ. In other words, there was an identification with Moses. Moses was the leader, then Christ is the leader now. 
the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You see. And uh, he wants to show us here, these were people who believed. They were associated with Moses. They followed him. But just like in every church, there are all levels of belief. And these people disobeyed God. And their disobedience was in, in the first place. Notice what idolatry is. Idolatry many times in Scripture is in a different character. For instance, in another portion in Ephesians 5, it says that all covetousness is idolatry. Have you coveted anything? God says it's idolatry. But notice what idolatry is here. Seventh verse. Don't you be idolaters as with some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Did you ever think about that? I want to tell you the church has been playing. The world is playing away its time, eating and drinking and just get up to play. All the world cries out for is more and more leisure time. Right? Let's have a 30-hour week now. One of them has a 25-hour week. More and more time to play, not to serve God. And God says this is idolatry. You have to judge your own life here. I don't want to be the judge of the life, but you have to judge in your own life whether you are just of this character. You're a Christian. Now, these are identified here in that 1 Corinthians 10 with Moses. And now we're identified with Christ. And it tells us in that portion that they drank of that rock which was Christ because this was where Moses taught them, see, that the Messiah was coming. He says, there'll be one that will come after me who will be greater than I, and him will you follow. And so here he says, these things are all your examples so you don't do the same thing. Don't you dare eat and drink and just rise up to play away your life. Life is too serious. Yes, enjoy yourself. Let me tell you, there's no more joy than being a Christian who really is in love with Jesus Christ. You can have great joy together in fellowship with Christians. Ask the adult fellowship if they didn't have great joy last weekend as they went away together. There's great joy, but life is a serious affair. And you are not here for any other purpose in the universe in all of man's existence except one. And that's to enter into the family of God that you might live forever. And that's all. We're told we came into the world naked and we shall leave naked. We came into the world with nothing and we shall leave the world with nothing. So that the only purpose God put man upon earth was one. And I've said this time and again. Not to build large corporations or families or purchase stocks and bonds and create fame and prestige for yourself. God says all that will die. And we can go back four or five generations and you don't even know your great, great, grandmother or father and you may not even know where they're buried I can't get back beyond my grandfather 
So if all they came into the world for was to get money, and that was the ultimate end of all things, God help us. God has but one divine purpose. He put man here and created him in his own image and likeness, and man fell into sin. And, and then God supplied the way of salvation in first the Old Testament, the blood sacrifice, which would tell man that he was cleansed from sin, that someone had to die for sin, either man or his substitute. And then Christ came. And Christ said, this salvation is not for the Jews only. Now I'll shed my blood on the cross of Calvary, and the blood of Jesus Christ shall cleanse men from all sin, that they might become the sons of God and might enter into his family and have eternal life and a home prepared for them by Jesus himself. That's the purpose. If you have any other thoughts in your mind, you're failing. You do not understand God. You do not understand the purposes of creation. You cannot possibly understand it. The Jews are the called out people of God on this earth and out of them came forth the Messiah, the Savior. And beloved, they have been disobedient and disobedient and disobedient and God has dealt with them and dealt with them and dealt with them and now we are facing a great great time of tribulation but I thank God that before that occurs the church of Jesus Christ shall already be home with its Savior and will be able to look from the panorama of heaven and not be on this earth to suffer God's judgment because God's judgment can't fall upon a people who've already been judged in his son on the cross of Calvary for he suffered death for every man that he might bring us to God. And for God to bring his judgment down upon Christians, he'd have to bring his judgment down upon his own son again, for he dwells in our hearts by faith. And it is no longer we that live, but Christ who lives in us. And God would have to crush his son within my breast for me to suffer under the great tribulation judgments of our God. Now I have many things on my heart which I would, would take ten messages, but I have some things that have been, you know, I said last week I gave you two points, I had ten, you know, so. Well, since last week I've developed seven others. But I am convinced that we are doing things so wrong, it's a sign of the last days. And uh, my heart really gets burdened when I read the newspapers, you know. Uh, I get upset with it, I have to admit that. I think we all do. I'm a Christian, but even though I know it's a sign of the Lord Jesus coming, it, up it upsets my heart when I see some of the things that I have to read. And I think that we're doing things so completely wrong in so many ways. There's a portion over in Deuteronomy, if I could read it to you just now, and I read to you last week and from Deuteronomy and, and the Jews and the problems they faced and their dispersion. But I just want to read here 
one verse in Deuteronomy 22.9 and speak to you for just a few minutes before we go to the Lord's table. I want you to remember now 1 Corinthians 10. God is saying, now the ends of the world have come upon you. There's no other generation. When Paul wrote this, he couldn't possibly know that this would be the precise time. But we see every sign coming to pass that the Lord is coming soon. We see the rise of confusion in the nations. Men do not understand where to turn. There's no businessman that has an answer. There's no ruler that has an answer. There's no politician that has an answer. President Nixon doesn't have the answer. The Russians don't have the answer. The Chinese don't have the answer. The Germans don't have the answer. No one has the answer. And the world is in the perfect position to accept the Antichrist who will come and perform miracles, do mighty acts, and the false prophet. The world is waiting for someone to come along and say, I got the answer. And they would flee to him. And Jesus says, there'll be one who will come in his own name and him you're going to receive. But me, you will not receive. And so Antichrist is coming. We'll be out of here, praise God, when he's revealed. Because it tells us in Thessalonians that after that the Holy Spirit is revealed, uh, is taken out, then shall be revealed this evil one. And the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and I praise God for it. Thou shalt not, ninth verse, 22nd chapter, Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. And I want to tell you that the church has been sowing, so-called church, wrong seeds. Not the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And the field is the world, and the whole world has been defiled by this type thing. By the fact that we've made so many mistakes. Israel's great mistake was their, dis was their sin, and then they were dispersed. They lost communion with God. They got deeper in sin. And the church today, beloved, has made many, many tragic mistakes. Wherein are we disobedient? Number one, and I'm just going to quickly mention these. I'd like to go into them deeply, and I'll mention the ones that I want especially. But we have made the tragic mistake, beloved, of making preachers, ministers, out of those who never were converted and have never and never should have been privileged to enter the pulpit of God. Oh, how this burdens my heart. When I hear the sad things today of the church, what a burden it is. How terrible. Just yesterday I read an article in the paper that really uh, I, I happen to know the man very well. He spoke at Bob's, my son Bob's uh, graduation from seminary. And the title of the article is Misery Synod. 
Misery Synod. This is Missouri Synod. Misery Synod holding modern heresy inquiry. Now, the head of the Missouri Synod was the one that spoke at uh, Bob's graduation from seminary at Westminster. His name is Dr. Proust. After the message he brought, I went up and I spoke to Dr. Proust. I listened to his message and it thrilled my heart. Right down the line on the gospel of Christ. So I went up to him after and I said, Dr. Proust, I said, tell me something. What has happened to the Missouri Synod preachers? And he looked at me and he said, they are in the saddest condition that they ever could have been. Since that time, he was elected president of the Missouri Senate. And now, the problems are tremendous. Listen to what it says. In St. Louis, the faculty of Concordia, which is their large seminary, charged in effect that it was being subjected to an unholy inquisition by Missouri Synod president, and they call him, his, his initials are J.A.O. Proust, and they call him Ho, like Ho Chi Minh. Ho Proust. President Proust's probe was described by the faculty as unethical, unrealistic, divisive, disruptive, and detrimental. President Proust believes that Adam and Eve were historical beings and that Jonah was actually swallowed by a great fish. Imagine. And Dr. Paul Zimmerman, who is one of their, his, his commissioners, seriously contends that the world was created by God in six days. They call it the Missouri Synod Civil War and predict a possible schism now in the three million bodies, the group of the church. Then it says this, History's heresy hunters have generally been terribly self-assured. This is apparent in the pedantic savagery and sleazy oversimplifications they employ. Now, I don't know what they would have done with Martin Luther. He was hardly sleazy. I don't know whether you have ever read the life of Martin Luther, but this man was a man of power. And so they, they're choosing men to preach in the pulpits, beloved, who never should be in the pulpits of the churches of our land. <clears throat> now let me... You still hear me all right? Okay. Let me show you what I mean. This year, in the seminaries of this country, 39,000 graduated, which is triple the number of seminarians that graduated 15 years ago. Most of them went to seminary to avoid the draft. It was in the newspaper the other day. So you have 39,000 seminary graduates coming out who know nothing about regeneration in Jesus Christ know nothing about salvation in Jesus Christ, 
have gone by and large to modernistic seminaries and are coming forth and most of them are taking secular jobs in industry because graduation from seminary is just about 26 and 27 years of age which eliminates them from the draft. So that the church is facing tremendous problems in the graduation of seminarians who have nothing concerning the new birth. We have made men preachers. There are preachers being made who never should stand in a pulpit. Wherein are we making our mistakes? Israel had the same thing. Israel had prophets, and God spoke of those prophets, and this is what he said. My prophets have healed you only slightly, he said to Israel. And they have said to you, peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, no sin, no forgiveness of sin. Just some preaching from the pulpit that had nothing to do with salvation. And God warned Israel, you have men speaking to you that are not really healing you at all. They're not preaching the word of God. And in Timothy, it warns us, in the last days, false teachers shall come in unawares and shall teach damnable, what? Heresies. But lest you think that only is confined, beloved, to us or to the Lutheran church, May I remind you that the Southern Baptist Convention is cut right down the middle because the man who's president of the convention, Dr. Criswell of Texas, had the audacity to come out and say that he believed in the Adamic story and in Jonah and the whale or the large fish. And because of that division down the middle, Half of them wanting to leave and the other half wanting to stay. So the last days are upon us. We're finding false teachers coming in unawares, teaching damnable heresies. Notice the next thing in that portion. I won't let, turn, have you turn to it. It says, forbidding to marry. Marriage is out the door. Did you ever hear so much about no more marriage? Children disobedient to parents as never before. Not listening at all to parents. Although God had said, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Let me tell you, I want to belong to the minority in this case. Let the majority go the way they want. Wide is the gate and broad is the way, Jesus says, that leads to destruction and many there are that go in thereat. But narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life eternal and few there are that find it. He says to us, fear not tiny flock. Not big flock. Fear not tiny flock. For it is the will of your Father to give to you the kingdom. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, that's what's happening to Dr. Proust, happy are ye. No matter where we turn, we would find that 
This is what's occurring in the church. There are 58,000 empty pulpits in the United States. Empty churches that have nobody preaching the word of God. And 39,000 seminary graduates and nobody wants one of them to preach. And very few, just those who really have been taught the things of the word of God. So we have made men preachers who never, 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 never should be preachers. The only man that can preach the gospel of Christ is the man who has received the Holy Spirit of God by the new birth and is filled with the Spirit and shines the Spirit upon that blessed word that people may see it. God warns, be careful. There'll be those who will sow diverse seeds into your field. Be careful because the seeds will defile the field. Having a form of godliness, they deny the power thereof. And beloved, secondly, we have made converts of people who have never been converted. I am not happy about the type invitation that gets big crowds coming down to the front. Neither is Billy Graham. Billy has said, if 1% of the people who come down front are saved, I will rejoice at the judgment seat of Christ. For if only one soul were saved in all my ministry to the millions, it's worth the efforts of a lifetime. Is that the way you think? Is that the way you think? One soul saved. We are making converts of people who are not converts. A man cannot be a convert to Jesus Christ unless he has acknowledged his sin. I cannot go along with that slap-happy salvation that says come to Jesus and go to heaven. Jesus says, unless ye repent of your sin, ye cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Sin must be acknowledged. And I don't know how many of you read the inquiring photographer in the Daily News. Someone gave me a copy of it a few weeks ago and they asked everybody, uh, do you think, uh, how perfect do you think you are? I was amazed at the answer. The first woman said, I think I am as perfect as any woman can be. <laughs> Another one said something like, if there's anyone better than me, they'll have to show me. Even though God says there's none righteous, no, not one. You've all gone aside. You've all together become filthy. No, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in the epistle of John, he that saith he hath no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so we've made converts out of people who never have been converts. The only converts are those who can say this morning with all their hearts, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me and I know it because if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And I say to every adult, to every young person, you know right this moment whether you're saved or whether you're lost. And if at this moment you're doubting, and you're not sure, you are lost. 
because salvation is a sure thing. I give unto them eternal life, Jesus says, and what? They shall what? Never perish. Who knows the rest of it with it? Neither shall anyone pluck them from my hand. That's conversion. When you really come to Jesus and accept Him as personal Savior, you're born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. You've really believed on Him. You've known you're a sinner. And oh, how I rejoice in the day when I came to Christ and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. As deep and as defiled as any man who's ever dwelt upon the face of this earth. And I need your salvation. I need cleansing from my sin. And I praise God for that day. Otherwise, I'd never be standing behind this pulpit. We've made preachers out of those who should never be preachers, and we've made converts out of those who should never be converts. I have a lot more points, but I think that's enough for this morning. We've done a lot of other things. But beloved, you read that 1 Corinthians 10 over again and notice it twice says, this is your example. Be careful. Don't you dare eat and drink and rise up to play. People can't wait to get home to play a game of golf or they can't wait to get home. Boy, I tell you, I want to see the, the Christian who when they leave the preaching service go home and when they have their meal, they really thank God at the table and they have a round of prayer with the children or they pray and that day is the Lord's day and the Lord has said, keep holy the Sabbath day. Beloved, I just pray that the Lord's day to you will be the most precious day. That first day of the week in which He arose from the dead, that's the Lord's day. We worship a risen Savior. And that your life will really shine for the living God. Are we a living church with a living message, beloved? Are we really that? Well, the man in the pulpit may preach the living gospel. But I want to say that if all you did, God says it would be idolatry. If all you do is eat and drink and rise up to play. Or you get involved in all of the other things he says there. He's warning us, remember I judged Israel very deeply. And there will be a judgment seat of Christ. Where you will answer for the deeds done in the body, whether they've been good or bad. I love you. I've redeemed you in my blood. And I'll have you at my judgment seat. Now you can enter there either with shame or with joy. And Paul wants us, he says, to enter with great joy. Oh, I hope you do. We've made preachers who shouldn't be preachers. Converts who shouldn't be converts. Have you ever raised your hand for Jesus? Have you said, yes, Lord, I want to really be saved. I mean it with all my heart. I'm serious about it. I'm fed up. I've been a phony but I really want Christ in my heart. I'm just going to give a very short invitation. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we do thank Thee for Thy precious word, and now we're going to come to the Lord's table. Lord, it may be that there are some who would like to say, Pastor, just pray for me. Pray for me.
you've mentioned about converts who really aren't converts. And I put on a front, but really, I want Jesus in my heart this morning. I want him to come in and be my Savior. Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, I see your hand. Yes. Quickly, just put it up. I don't want to prolong it. You just want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Just put it up. No one else looking around. Yes, I saw your hand. Between you and God. No one else. Just you and God. Just put it up. Just till I see it and then take it down. Just a moment now. Anywhere? You just want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Mother, Dad, have you ever done it? Have you ever made that decision and said, Oh, I really trust him. I want to know that he's mine completely as my own personal Savior. Just one moment as we close. Anywhere, just put it up till I see it and then take it down. Quickly. Anywhere. I'm going to close. Do you hear the voice of God saying, Oh, put your hand up. And the other voice is saying, I don't want to. I'm too timid. I'm afraid. Take hold. Take hold. And say, Here, Pastor, here's my hand. Anyone? Quickly. Now, Father, we thank Thee for this blessed time we've had together. We pray, Lord, for the hands that went up, that You'd bless them, and uh, that it's real serious in their lives that they really are converted to Jesus Christ. And that conversion means forgiveness of sins. Regeneration. Dead with Christ on the cross and risen with Him in resurrection power that there might be victory in life. Lord, bless each one. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.